Hello, and welcome to a midweek episode of the Batteries Included podcast. I'm Dominic Yoni, and my co-host today is Tom, the illustrious Tom Malogny, a senior editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel State of Charge. On today's show, we are pleased to be joined by John McElroy, an automotive reporter for over 40 years, who may be best known today for running and hosting Autoline Network. Uh, that's You can find that at www.autoline.tv on the web, or he's also on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at Autoline Detroit. So great to have you here with us today, John. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. Dominic. Pleasure to be here with both you and Tom. I, I, I can't wait to get into all this. Right. So yeah. we're here today. We, we want to talk about the uh, the strike, the UAW strike. It's been going on since September the 15th. And what's it's like October the 20. We're recording this on the 27th. And so it's still ongoing, except for Ford seems to have come to some sort of re, uh, resolution or some uh, maybe you, uh, kick us off, John, with just laying out the basics of what, what is this strike about? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, well, let's stick with Ford for a minute. So they've reached a tentative agreement. And uh, so now there's a five-step process. Step one was reaching a tentative agreement where the UAW said, okay, we like this contract. Now the next step is they've got to bring in all the locals to Detroit, you know, the, the presidents of the locals and and go through, oh, oh, no, I take that back. There's one step before that. Uh, they have like uh, an executive board and the executive board has got to go through this and say, okay, yes, let's present it to the locals. Then the, the local presidents come in and they, they have all this. And then the locals have to present it to their members at the, the plant level. And then the plant people uh, vote on whether to approve it or not. So we're easily another week left in this. But, you know, going back to your original question there, Dom, what's this strike about is, uh, you know, working class people have seen their their incomes flatline for several decades now. And they really fall, feel like they've been left behind. Meanwhile, the auto industry, as it always does, generates all these billions of dollars in profits. And uh, now with a tight labor market in the United States, labor recognizes this is our moment, baby. You know, if, if we've ever had leverage, now's the time to use it. And so it goes beyond the auto industry, right? You know, it's Teamster workers with uh, with UPS. It's baristas at Starbucks. It's uh, warehouse workers at Amazon. It's uh, the SAG actors, uh, you know, actors and writers guild out on the West Coast. So we're, we're seeing this whole labor movement thing uh, pop up this year where labor has decided it's our turn to to start getting our fair share. That's that's how they see it. They because as they say, the people at the top, the one percent, have made out fabulously well over the last couple of decades. Uh, and certainly, auto automaker CEOs are making a ton of money, right? They're making crazy money, you know. Crazy. So last year, I think Mary Barra made twenty eight million dollars. I think Jim Farley at Ford made twenty two million dollars. Uh, uh, Carlos Tavares at Stellantis made something like 24 million. So yeah, they're, they're doing quite well. Yeah. Well, well Don, before we keep going, go any further, I want to just mention the reason why we brought John in here now, John's been in the, this industry for a long time, but there's a lot of people been in the industry for a long time. When we decided we wanted to do a midweek episode on the, on the strike, we, we, we immediately thought of John because honestly, uh, I've been following John for many years now, and there's probably nobody more in tune with what's going on in Detroit 
in my opinion, you know, the back, um, the, the, the backroom dealings and everything that's going on in that there's, there's, there's reporters and there's people that have covered this industry that have specialties in a lot of different facets of the industry. But John is a Detroit guy. He knows what's going on with, uh, you know, he's very in touch with this subject. And I mean, I remember throughout the years, John, going to all the auto shows. I always went to all the auto shows and I always waited and watched your auto line uh, shows. You would, you would um, record live from the auto shows. I was one of those people standing there while you were recording live, but the funniest part, and I know I digress, but I have to mention this. The funniest uh, John story I have was, I think it was a 2014 auto show and I'm walking around and I'm by the Toyota booth and, and I see that you're recording live and they're following you around, which a lot of people are recording live from these auto shows. And he looks at the Toyota, the Mirai, I think it was a, um, a, a, a prototype of it. I don't think it was the, the final version of it. And you said something like, oh, my God, that's God awful. And I forget what you said, but I started dying laughing. I was afraid that you're almost going to hear me on uh, as, as he recorded. He's like, I don't know what they were thinking when they made this thing. Look at it. Like, it yeah. looks horrible. That was my, my, my favorite um, Tom, I, I, I story. Tom, I, I think my line might have been, why didn't they just give the money to the poor? <laughs> <laughs> it was something like that, but it was it was perfect. And I was thinking the same thing. And then you're like, you know, I'm not against hydrogen. I'm just against that. Like that, like who designed that thing? But anyway, let's get yeah. back to the, the, the yeah, strike. Yeah, yeah. But True that's thing. why we invited John to come on here. This guy knows Detroit. He knows the unions. He's been covering his, his whole life. And, you know, so so thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, And not to leave the four deal. Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about the whole strike, but high level. Um, if this gets ratified, if this deal that they're proposing does go through, who won with that? Did 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 the the UAW or did or did Ford get a a better deal because they struck first? Or, no, no, no. This is a massive victory for the UAW. I mean, uh, think about some of these numbers here, and I'll use what General Motors has said that it's proposed. The average worker will make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Now that includes profit sharing and bonuses, not just pure wages. Uh, with their enhanced 401k after 30 years of service, and this is invested in the market, et cetera, uh, after 30 years, they'll have a million dollars in re their retirement fund. They get five weeks of vacation. They get 20 paid holidays. I can't even name 20 holidays, you know? So this is a really, oh, and they got uh, COLA, cost of living adjustment. So they're protected from inflation as well. Their healthcare is unbelievable. At GM, they pay essentially nothing, no monthly payments, no co-pays, deductibles, or anything Man. like that. So it's a really good package. Uh, this does not help the car companies. Uh, it's going to add greatly to their, their costs. Ford is saying it's going to add anywhere from $850 to $900 to the cost of a vehicle. Uh, now, uh, that makes it tougher for uh, the automakers. Uh, they'll be able to do it, but you know the the transplants that is the the foreign automakers who operate in America, and you know they make millions of cars in the United States. They employ something like 128,000 non-union employees, and even before the strike started, they had something like a $15 an hour labor cost advantage, and now with uh, this new contract that that gap's going to grow, and uh, that's that's the danger part of of this uh, whole thing. I think it's great that these workers at the UAW are making the kind of money that they're making. I actually believe that they deserve to make that kind of money, 
but it de definitely puts the Detroit Three at a competitive disadvantage. Now we'll see, can the union go out and organize those plants? You know, at Toyota and Honda and BMW and Mercedes and Hyundai and Kia and uh, Subaru and so on and so forth, even Tesla. That's what uh, I was going to say. That's, how that's, how yeah. about wait, the Tesla, Rivian, the Lucid? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, so is this going to is this going to give more fuel to that fire? Will do you think this makes it uh, the probability that Tesla, Lucid, and uh, Rivian uh, is that a greater probability that 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 they'll unionize? We'll, we'll have to see what develops here. You know, uh, the UAW has been trying to organize the transplants. That's what we first started calling the Japanese plants that came to America. They were transplanted to America. Right. Uh, the, the, you know, Honda started building cars in America 40 years ago, 40 years. And the UAW has tried to organize Honda. It's tried to organize Toyota. It's tried to organize Nissan. And it has failed miserably. They tried to get a Volkswagen. They tried to get Mercedes. They have failed miserably. I personally believe part of the reason was the way they went about organizing these plants. They made it a social justice cause. Mm -hmm. And they brought in all these social justice leaders in, you know, uh, uh, that, that kind of a movement, which I always thought was a mistake. I mean, if you want to get somebody at a non-union plant to start to consider a union, you go up to them and say, hey, our guys just got $10,000 in profit sharing. How much did you make? Oh, right. they didn't give you a dime? Are you kidding? And how much do you co-pay on your health care? Really? You pay that much? Uh, come on. You join us with the union. We're going to make sure that you guys make a whole lot more money. You go right to their pocketbook. That's how you get people interested in a union. And now we've got this new leader in the UAW by the name of Sean Fain. The way he has conducted his strategy against the Detroit Three, the way he has communicated on X, on YouTube and the like, I think has been brilliant. I don't agree with the guy necessarily, but I stand in total respect of the way he's uh, conducted this. So now we'll see, can this new leader with a very rich contract with the Detroit Three go to the Teslas and the Rivians and uh, uh, the Lucids and say, hey guys, what are you waiting for? Come on with us. Man, it's... It's tough though. Say you're at, so say you're a, like a factory worker at, at one of these companies, like a, a like a new one, like a Lucid or a Rivian, and you know you've you've been in your job. These companies are not on firm ground. They're just they're struggling to make it. Like Lucid, we don't even know. It's hard to say what how what that will look like in five years down the road. Rivian, I have a little bit more confidence with, but it's still a, a brand new company with a lot of challenges ahead of them still. But you're sitting there. So do you do you. Are you happy with the, the package that you just accepted to take this new job? Or do you want to try to risk the company's future fortunes on increasing their, you know, their expenses, the bottom line to get that product out there? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a great dilemma there, Dominic, uh, you know, and, and the reason the UA, one of the other reasons the UAW has not made any, any headway with the transplants is They've all gone into rural areas. They're Marysville, Ohio. They're mm -hmm. in, you know, rural Kentucky and Georgia and Texas mm -hmm. and the like. And so they come in, they build these massive manufacturing uh, plants. They pay the best wages by far for a hundred mile radius. You mm -hmm. can't get a better job than what they offer. And when the union starts rattling, you know, uh, the cages and saying, hey, we're going to organize this plant, which management has done, has gone to the workers and say, hey, look, you know, you're not going to get a better job than this, you know, and 
And do you really want to bring in the union? Look at those guys who are on strike right now. They're only making $500 a week. You're, you want to go through, through with that? And yeah, maybe this new guy, Sean Fain, is good. But, you know, the past two presidents went to, to, to prison, federal mm -hmm. prison. They were totally corrupt. Are you sure this new guy is clean? Really? You want to do that? And um, and most people at the end of the day have said, you know, I got it pretty good here. Uh, let's keep the union out. But having said that, you know, you look at Tesla, which is estimated to pay all in benefits and wages, about $45 an hour. Uh, whereas before the strike started, the UAW workers were making $65 an hour. And now it, it's going to go up uh, substantially above that. I mean, you're talking a $40 an hour difference with wages and benefits. Uh, at the very least, what's going to have to happen is that Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, the transplants are going to have to greatly increase their wages. Maybe not to UAW levels, but they're going to have to close that gap if they want to keep the union out. Hmm. Or, do, or maybe stock op stock options as well, maybe. Well, you know, there's been all this talk that Tesla pays its workers with stock or stock options. Uh, Tesla's never talked about this, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. This is all info that's come out, not from the company. Now, nobody knows for sure if they're still paying stock options. Because one of the, the some of the scuttlebutt that I heard is, years ago, Tesla did pay their workers with stock options. And they became millionaires. And the first thing they did was quit their jobs. Right. So, so you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to pay them too much because then they're out of there. John, did Ford jump the gun? Do you think they saw, they agreed or offered too good of a deal too soon? And, and that's going to irreparably damage the company? Because it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is that they're, they're going to be at such a competitive disadvantage, not only to the 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 competing uh legacy brands that are out there but to the 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 startups here in the u.s uh electric vehicle startups at least for evs do in your opinion i i, I know this is pure opinion did, did did they give up too much too soon i i don't think so uh and here's why you know uh labor cost represents about eight percent of the cost of a car i mean it varies you know on a $110,000 Escalade or Grand Wagoneer, labor cost is a smaller percentage. But as you get into lower price vehicles like a, a Ford Maverick, even though that's built in Mexico, um, you know, the labor cost becomes a more significant part. But the, the rule of thumb everyone seems to be uh, uh, settling on is roughly 8%. So we've just seen the UAW get a 25% wage increase. So you're seeing a 25% increase of 8% of the total cost. So uh, it bites, it hurts, but it's not going to cause these companies to crash. And like I said, it's likely to cause the startups and the transplants to have to raise their wages and benefits as well. And, and that's what we've seen over the last 40 years. As, as the UAW got a raise, everybody else that was non-union also got a raise just to keep the union out. Could this, could this uh, encourage Ford to make more cars in Mexico? They have unions down there as well, but I don't believe they're they're not UAW unions, right? That's right. Yeah, no, uh, Mexican unions heretofore have been pushovers. I mean, they've been almost okay. essentially company unions. And uh, not with, uh, they haven't challenged the companies very much on anything. That, that's right. starting to change. 
you know, with the, the NAFTA replacement, the USMCA, it, it actually does give unions in Mexico more power uh, it, just in terms of having freer elections. And, and so we're, we're, we're seeing a, a little bit of an increase in the cost on the Mexican side of things. Because I'm looking at Mexico right now as a sort of gateway to the American market. So Ford already has, I mean, the, all the automakers already have production facilities down there. So I'm thinking, man, if I was Ford, maybe I would consider, you know, increasing that, those, those activities down there more. And it's also, I see it as, as, a, as a backdoor for Chinese manufacturers to come into the market too. And with their already, you know, lower costs. And I would, in some cases, more advanced EV technology. Right. Uh, not, not, not maybe they have more advanced EV technology. You know, some look, of them do, some of them don't. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectrum. No, you're, you're right. I'm talking about the better ones, the BYDs, right. the NEOs, and the like. Mm -hmm. uh, look, uh, the number one export country to Mexico right now of vehicles is China. Chinese mm -hmm. are, uh, you know, we, we don't see it in the United States, but the Chinese are taking over the global market. Mm -hmm. They're extremely mm -hmm. strong in Latin and South America, Central and uh, South America, extremely strong in Africa, extremely strong in Southeast Asia. You know, it, it's, uh, uh, and as you know, with EVs, making big inroads into Europe right now. So far, we haven't seen that in the U.S. So it's kind of out of our minds, but believe me, Chinese are, are, are going to come into Mexico in a big way. Uh, but again, coming back to the USMCA trade agreement, uh, to be able to sell cars in North America without getting hit by tariffs and the like, you have to have, uh, and I, I wish I could quote them off the top of my head, but pretty significant uh, U.S. content. Uh, and also, if you build stuff in Mexico, uh, there's a, a clause in there that says it has to be built with labor that's at least $16 an hour. So that's substantially above what's getting paid in Mexico right now. So to be a, a full beneficiary of uh, getting into the U.S. market via Mexico, there is some, uh, you know, content and wage things that you're, you're going to have to uh, deal with. But I believe the Chinese will deal with it. I believe they are coming. Right. And so, so there's this U, UAW settlement with Ford. I mean, this 850 or so dollars extra per vehicle. Um that's something that they may not have to deal with down there, right? Correct. No, it's just, absolutely right. So I, I feel like it really kind of puts the big three at a disadvantage. It know, does. It, it yeah, does. Going forward. Yeah. Now, you know, in certain segments, let's say uh, heavy-duty, full-size pickup trucks, they don't face any competition. So they will easily be able to pass those costs on to their customer. But in areas where they compete head-to-head -head with Hyundai, Toyota, Honda, whomever, uh, the marketplace determines what the price of that vehicle is. And uh, just because you suddenly now have $850, $900 more cost, it's going to be very difficult for the Detroit automakers just to pass that along on things like Explorers, uh, you know, or uh, Chevy Malibus or anything like that. Uh, it's just not going to happen. They're going to have to eat that cost. John, um, moving forward, as we evolve and transition into more electric vehicles. I think the battery manufacturing facilities are, are, are going to employ a, a larger and larger percentage of the automaker's overall uh, fleet of employees. Uh, I, I didn't see all the particulars in the Ford deal, 
But did, did they concede to making their future battery plants unionized? You know, good question, Tom. We don't know that yet. Okay. You know, the union made a big deal about that. Yeah. And Ford was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, number one, the plants are even not even built. The workers have not even been hired. So how the hell can we put these guys into the contract, you know? Um, now, there was uh, the union did come out and say General Motors agreed to this. General Motors has not said anything about that. But the union says, Sean Fain, the president of the union said, General Motors has agreed to bring the battery plant workers into the master agreement, not a separate mm. joint venture agreement. But we don't know where that stands. And, you know, for all this talk of transparency, and there has been a whole lot more transparency on the part of the union of what they're asking for and where they stand. But uh, they didn't say anything about battery plant employees when they reached this tentative agreement with Ford. I suspect by Sunday, a lot more details will leak out, but we'll see. I have to ask you, you've, you've mentioned the UAW president, Sean Fain, four or five times here, which you should because this is he's leading the charge here. But I did see your recent podcast that was titled, Why Does Sean Fain Want to Damage the Detroit Automakers? Now, obviously, the president is going to be a hard line. You know, you expect the president of the of the UAW to, to be the tough guy, to be out in the front. But it seems to me, at least my perception of it, is that you – you you think he goes beyond being a hardline negotiator that, you know, he doesn't seem to be your favorite person is what I'm trying to get to. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit on on your opinion yeah. of, of Sean Fain? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great, Tom. Uh, I love the fact that you asked that. So, number one, I got the greatest respect for this guy, Sean Fain. What he has pulled off is astonishing. I mean, totally astonishing. But my concern all along was, does he see the big picture? So, you know, this whole strike has been about gimme, gimme, gimme. I want this. I want that. I want the other thing. Mm -hmm. And I understand why they're asking for it. And like I said, I support these workers really seeing a big bump up in their standard of living. But we know this electric transformation or transition is being, it's brutal on these car companies. None of them are making money. Tesla, yes. But all the, you know, Ford's the only one with the guts to publish the numbers. And we just saw it lost $1.3 billion on EVs just in the third quarter. I guarantee you all the rest of them are losing money too. They just don't publish the numbers. So is Sean Fain aware of that, that there, there's this going on? And as you know, this, this transition goes well beyond just putting batteries in cars. Um, and Tesla has shown the way that it's going to go forward. Everything based on first principles everything being a software defined car using, you know, zonal centralized computing, developing it all with uh, digital twins. I mean, the legacy automakers are not there. They're doing little bits and pieces of that. And they're trying to bring this entire legacy supply chain along with them. And so it's, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult. And I'm not sure the union sees that big picture. Also in the United States, certainly, We've reached peak auto. You know, the, the best sales year was roughly 2018. We sold 17 million cars and trucks. I don't think we're ever going to beat that again, or if we do, by a little bit. And so what I'm getting at is there's no more growth in the U.S. auto industry unless you keep raising prices 
or you build more and more expensive cars, $110,000 Escalades and, and uh, Grand Wagoneers or the like, or you come up, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Or you come up with these uh, subscription services. Oh, you want to drive hands-free? No problem. You know, $70 a month, we'll, we'll sell you the subscription. And so uh, again, there's, there's no growth in vehicle sales. It's got to be by these other things. And so th that's where I, I say again, is, is the UAW, is Sean Fain aware of the big picture? And one of the biggest disappointments of this whole uh, negotiation for me has been the total lack of creativity. It's been gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to drive up the, the labor costs of these companies. What do they do now? How do they offset this cost? Well, we've seen a couple of casualties, I think, already. GM is delaying its Orion Township plant uh, building, you know, EV Silverados. It's pushing that back by a year. Uh, Ford just announced it's delaying one of the battery plants that it's in, in uh, Kentucky, building in yeah. Kentucky. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, part of this is it looks like EV demand is uh, the growth of the demand is slowing down. Right. But I think another thing is these companies are looking at, holy moly, you know, Ford just came out, the strike costed about $1.3 billion. How do you make that up? Well, what, first thing you do is let's stop this battery plan or, you know, push it back another year. Um, and so there has been no creativity on the part of the union to help the automakers offset these labor costs. And uh, I was hoping that th what they would get down to is uh, an idea the union actually floated this is like 2014 or so. The UAW said, hey, GM Ford and then Fiat Chrysler, you've got massive healthcare costs, white collar and blue collar. Why don't we combine it all together, all three companies into one giant collective? Mm -hmm. And we'll have one giant Detroit-based, you know, healthcare uh, ordering system, if you will. And if you put retirees and, and active and white collar to get, there's going to be a million people enrolled. And now you can go out with tremendous bargaining clout into uh, the healthcare industry and really get some good prices. I thought that was a brilliant idea, but, but there's no talk of that right now. And, and so, you know, Tom, you asked, uh, I, I admire Sean Fain, but, you know, if he has put the Detroit three at a competitive disadvantage, they're going to continue to lose market share in the United States. That's going to lead to plant closings. That's going to cost UAW jobs. So now we're going to see Sean Fain definitely won this battle, but has he won the war? Right. And you mentioned it in that video. Also, it's not just the um, auto workers that are affected that, you know, UAW workers that are affected. It's also the, like the suppliers, tier one, tier two. There's a whole industry of supply to these factories. So those people, a lot of those people have been laid off. Uh, That's they're right. not making money. They don't have strike funds. They don't have a union. Maybe some That's of them, right. I don't know exactly, but. No, they don't. Uh, no, they don't. No, they're, they're filing for unemployment, which, of course, puts a burden on the states where they live. Right. And no, you're exactly right. Uh, and this is where I started to turn against the strike in the last couple of weeks is uh, it was doing damage to the Detroit based auto industry. And uh, the, the biggest worry so far, and we'll see what happens here, is smaller, uh, often family owned tier two and tier three suppliers, literally the suppliers to the suppliers to the suppliers. And uh, they're little companies. Uh, they often only uh, 
have their business on one product line. You know, I'll make up an example. They, uh, they make, uh, you know, emblems for the Ford F-150. Sure. And, uh, you know, and if they lose production there, they're, they're devastated. And that's where we're going to see the damage that the strike has done as Ford now tries to get back up into production. You know, what happened to these smaller tier twos and threes? You know, are, are they there? And, uh, and this is why I think GM and Stellantis will probably settle fairly quickly is because of the damage being done to the supply chain. And that, right. that was going to be my next question. Um, uh, as somebody who's been in touch with the strikes throughout the years, does this mean that basically Ford's Ford's deals written the deal for GM and Stellantis? Are they going to basically agree to the same thing or is there still, is each company going to negotiate their own unique deal that could be much different from the Ford deal? Yeah. You know, it, historically, you know, the union's gone after one, they call it a pattern agreement. So they go after one company, they strike it, they get a deal with them, and then the other two fall in line. But even then, there's always some variation. You know, I'll make up a number because I, I, I don't want to quote it as exactly, but it'll give you directionally the case. 90% of all the contracts will be the same. But then there's uh, variations between companies. And even when you get down to the local level, down to the plant level, there's always some local issues that get negotiated too. So that's why they, they, they talk about the national master agreement and then the local agreements. So like I said, most of it will be almost all the same. So who, who do you think is the overall winner in this thing? Is it the union? Yeah. It's like, is it too early to tell? Well, you know, the line workers, I mean, the line workers are I mean, right that's... off the bat. They're going to get a signing bonus of I'm going to five to six thousand dollars just to sign the contract. So boom, they get a hit there. They will get an immediate eleven percent raise, and then by the end of the contract, it will have turned into a twenty-five percent raise. Uh, they're going to get more profit sharing, uh, and uh, they get more time off. Uh, they get an additional holiday, Juneteenth in this case. Okay. So uh, the, the workers are going to see uh, an immediate bump in their standard of living. Yeah, John, does, th does this, does this, let's say uh, this deal does get ratified, it goes through, and then GM and Stellantis sign uh, similar deals to this. So, so all the companies are, are, are taking it on the chin basically uh, equally. Fast forward 10 years from now. Are these companies all weaker? Are they because of this? Have has there been plant closures? Uh, do they have significantly smaller market shares because of their additional costs? I think yes, unless the UAW can organize the transplants and the startups like Tesla and bring them to the same cost level, then they're then the Detroit Three are at no cost labor cost disadvantage. But wow. um, but there's no question that yes, right now. Uh, they're going to have to eat another $900 cost. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing some of the impact uh, immediately. And, and here's how you see it. Uh, GM stock price, I, I, I don't know where it is today, but the last I looked, it was $27 uh, a share. That, that's lower than it was a decade ago. Their market capitalization is something like $37 billion. I mean, so if... 
GM wants to continue investing in EVs, uh, it's going to have to borrow the money from the banks or it's going to have to issue bonds. You know, if your stock price is great, like, like Tesla, if Tesla wants to raise capital, it can literally issue more shares. And yes, it dilutes it a little bit, but look at how strong uh, the, the stock is. And so many people buy on the dip. If there's bad news, the stock goes down, boom, the investors jump in and bid it back up again. And I haven't looked lately, but what's Tesla's market cap? $600, $700 billion <laughs> versus $37 billion at General Motors? I mean, this puts them at a, a real disadvantage because as they go to invest, the only way they can get the money is through profits. Right. You know, interest rates are so high right now. They don't want to borrow. Uh, and this union contract is going to hurt their profitability. So that is going to make it more difficult to invest in future product. Yeah, Tesla's market cap is $658 billion, <laughs> right. which is because, I mean, a lot of, a lot of investors look at Tesla and they don't, they don't, it's not just the car business. They're looking at the uh, battery storage and, and they were looking at solar. I'm not sure how that's going. And maybe some of them now are looking at the, the robot business, you know, that Elon wants to get into, but yeah, General Motors is struggling at 27, 86, I think 84 at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's how many more vehicles does GM sell per year than than Tesla does? Oh, <laughs> so many more. A couple of million. <laughs> so, so GM's market cap is thirty eight point one five billion crazy. dollars. Yeah, so the difference is just yeah, kind of astronaut. Mind blowing. And and the same goes for Ford. Ford's a little bit above GM, but not much. Mm -hmm. not and much. Uh, it's uh, so again, you, you know, I'm talking big picture stuff here, and I'm not sure the union fully appreciates the big picture. No, that's it's it i agree with what you're saying but i don't have the depth of knowledge to back up my instinct with uh with what i believe like you do i you know when i hear it from you uh i i tend to believe it now I, dom i don't know if you have any more questions for john but i know i have one one last question for me personally john fast forward it's 2030 is tesla a human a union shop i don't think so i don't think so you know, uh, I, I think the union's going to have a very difficult time organizing non-union plants. Uh, they'll probably get a few successes. Uh, but, you know, wasn't it just last year? Elon laughingly invited them. Come on in. Have an organizing drive here in Fremont. Right. And, and they didn't take it. And the reason they didn't take it is they knew they had no chance. Now, maybe the new contract, you know, with uh, everything that we've talked about, will start to change the thinking of the line workers at Tesla. Mm -hmm. But like I said, the more likely thing is Elon will go in and say, okay, no problem. Here's a 20% raise. Union got 25%. I'm giving you guys 20%. And they'll go, yeah, that's good enough. So yeah. he'll still maintain or even increase his labor cost advantage, even if he gives them a raise. I wonder if that's good enough for the union. They don't really, they don't really care if the if non-union shops get raises. They want a piece of that action because all these workers have to pay money into the union. I'm not sure, but they're nonprofit organizations, right? Uh, yes, they are. They're nonprofit, right. so they can bring in money, but this doesn't really go to anything except executive salaries, which are pretty high, actually. I think you were 
I think you were saying Mr. Mr. Fain pulls two salaries, I think. And gets well, that, that, that's unclear. And I've asked oh, okay. the, uh, the union for clarification on that. And that was last week. They never got back to me. So <laughs> I, I think they don't want to deal with me. Uh, but in, in, in any case, um, yeah, I mean, the, the average UAW worker, by my calculation, pays uh, a little over $800 a year in union dues. And, uh, so, you know, that's, you, make you know, I, I don't think that's outrageous, but you know, for some people they don't want to pay 800. And I mean, the specific number is $888. That's my calculation of what the average UAW, uh, employee pays in union dues. I was kind of curious about that part. Cause I always, I've never been in a union and I've always thought of, you know, it's kind of bothered me. I have to pay the money to you know, to give me what I should be getting anyway, because there should be like a, a framework of laws in the country, labor laws that sort of mandates I get, make a certain amount of money and have a certain quality of life or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, well, in, in the short term, that 888 seems like it's paying dividends for them with these deals. Yeah. But we don't know what the long term effects going to be, as John pointed out this, you know, as as good as it seems like a huge victory for organized labor and for the employees, if 25% of them lose their jobs in the next seven years because this deal was so rich that it, it made the big three uh, so competitively disadvantaged that they had to start cutting back, closing factories, shrinking, uh, doing whatever they can to, 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 to save money. You know, the CEOs aren't going to take a pay cut. Uh, right. So, you know, um, what do you do? Well, we'll cut, cut workforce, you know, right. increase productivity somehow, cut, close a plant. Uh, that's what happens. And uh, this could be a very short term victory for the UAW. Yep, absolutely could be. Uh, you know, you, you asked earlier, will they move more production to Mexico? Ford probably will not. But we're going to see more automation and robots come in. I mean, they've just flipped, yeah. you know, the, the, the cost equation. Do we hire a person? Do we get automation? Mm -hmm. And now the automation just became that much more affordable. And when you look at Tesla's unboxed assembly process, I mean, if they make that work, everyone else is going to have to fall in line. That could take 50% of the people out of an assembly plant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, again, is the union looking at the big picture here? Right. There's a whole lot going on here. And uh, I think we should probably wrap it up. But uh, I think if some of our viewers have comments or questions or, you know, observations, Please leave this uh, something in the comments below uh, on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so I guess that kind of brings us to the end of our show. I'd like to thank you, John, for, for coming on with us. I really appreciate having you here. I got the chance to spend uh, a couple hours, I think, with you, talking with you in an airport one time. And it, that was like so great. I had like, the best time with that little <laughs> conversation. And uh, yeah, do you have another word you want to say before we head out, Tom or uh -huh. John? Well, I want wow. to thank John uh, for coming on and I want to urge our viewers to check out AutoLine if they haven't already. You know, they everybody probably knows uh, where, where to find John. But if you don't uh, check out, he, he does some great podcasts, some shows. I was a guest once a while ago, which was fantastic. Thank you for having me on, John. I really appreciate that. I thought we had a good discussion. Uh, but thanks again for coming on. And hopefully uh, at some point in the future, maybe you can come back on and then do another guest appearance. Look, I'd love to. I love talking with you guys. You asked all the right questions. I truly enjoyed this conversation. Right on. Uh, so AutoLine, that's a daily, every day you can find co new content on AutoLine. And Thursday's your big day? 
Yeah, so we do a 10-minute newscast every day called AutoLine Daily. And then the, the show that Tom was on, we call AutoLine After Hours, and that's an hour-long webcast every Thursday afternoon. Yeah, that's a great show. You have always have like top-notch guests and really good in-depth discussion. And like your depth of knowledge of the industry is like, I, I think, really unsurpassed. But uh, right. So like, like I said, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, if you liked it, please give us a thumbs up. Click, click subscribe. Tap that bell icon for notifications so you don't miss any of our midweek shows. And uh, thank you all again for joining us. And we'll see you all again very soon. Ciao.